What up? And welcome to Pound the Rock, the Scores NBA podcast. I am Joe Wolfon. I'm in studio with my co-host, Joseph Cacharo. Apparently, we'll sleep when Sam Presti does. Yeah, this league, it just never stops. And we're, we're back in here to dissect yet another blockbuster trade. Basically, a straight swap of Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul. The Rockets attaching meaningful assets to make this trade happen. It's a bit of a head-scratcher to me. And Cash seemed like it was a bit of a head-scratcher to you as well. You wrote a piece that went up on the score this morning called, Does Anyone Win in the Chris Paul-Russell Westbrook Blockbuster? What conclusion did you come to? Nobody wins. Now, from a, from a shrewd business perspective, yes, the Thunder very clearly to me win the deal. If we're just talking about the specific deal and the business aspect of it, they turned one bad contract into a slightly not as bad contract. And they did that while getting two more first round picks and two more pick swaps. So if you're keeping count, they have now turned Paul George, Russell Westbrook, and Jeremy Grant in the last week into 12 either first round picks outright or swaps. So again, from a business perspective, a team that's clearly pivoting to a rebuild, good business, they win the trade. But it's very hard for me to sit here and call the Thunder a winner. Because as I mentioned in my piece, go ask a Thunder fan if they feel like a winner right now. A week ago, this team, now you can argue with whether they actually were a contender or not, but I'm sure internally they felt like contenders. And, you know, probably looking at it the way a lot of teams were, where as long as Kawhi Leonard doesn't go to the Lakers, the championship race is as wide open as it ever has been. And we've got Paul George and Russell Westbrook, who we still believe in. That team thought they were a contender a week ago, man, a week ago. And now, yes, have they done a really good job to pivot to a rebuild? Of course. But that doesn't mean it, it feels good, right? Like, And so in that respect, and you wrote a great piece a couple days ago, I believe, just about kind of this whole whirlwind experience of the Thunder and what they've been over the last decade and how they, you know it's clearly coming to the end of the road. And again, that goes into why I'm saying even though they won the trade, I just can't call them winners. You know, you, you just look at this lineage of stars and moves that they made over the last decade just chasing that one championship that they couldn't get. And now they're going into a full-blown rebuild in a market that quite frankly has never experienced it. Yeah, I mean, I understand it's going to feel tough. And it's going to be a while, I think, before they get to feel a sense of true optimism again. I think they're in better shape than they were a few days ago. I really do. And, you know, the reason for that is I just feel like they had more or less maxed out what that roster could be. They were in tax hell. They didn't really have any means of, uh, you know, significantly improving the roster. Paul George basically had just had a career season and one that... I mean, I don't necessarily think that you could have expected him to replicate, especially after undergoing two shoulder surgeries. Russell Westbrook clearly on the downslope. And now I think, you know, they they have an opportunity to really spin this into something sustainable. And I, again, I think it's going to take a while for it to get to that point. But they have a chance, I think, to build this thing in a sort of similar way to how they built it the first time around. And the first time around, and I'm sure we'll get into this later, but that's like a one-in-a-million shot to get Durant, Westbrook, Harden in back-to-back-to-back drafts. Like We might never see anything like that happen again. We're talking about three MVPs and guys with a combined 23 All-NBA selections between them. It's insane. But looking at this trade, I mean, I think, and you know, I, I feel like you were in the same boat 
I, I was going into this thinking that Russell Westbrook has basically neutral trade value at best, possibly even negative trade value. And, you know, we, we threw Miami out there as a likely trade partner. And I was kind of thinking that Miami was going to cobble together some salaries to make it work and that the Thunder would would swallow hard and make that deal because those salaries were going to be expiring and they were going to be able to rebuild the way that they wanted to without Westbrook's exorbitant contract on their books. They take back Chris Paul's basically equally exorbitant contract, but they get a 2024 first rounder, a 2026 first rounder. Those picks are lightly protected, top four protected, and you get two more pick swaps, 2021 and 2025. And I understand, like, 2021, probably not going to come into effect. 2025? I don't know where the Rocks are going to be in 2025. Controlling their picks from 2024 to 2026 is ludicrous. Yeah. It's... So, I mean, to me, this is just an absolute coup for the Thunder. And not only that, but the Thunder now get out of that $47 million option that Westbrook had on his deal for 2022-2023. So it just makes them like a little bit more flexible. I would expect them to turn around and try and trade Chris Paul at this point. But for now, I mean, like you said, they have just compiled uh, an embarrassment of draft riches and I think they put themselves in a pretty good spot. And like, you know, pivoting back to sort of how this must feel to be a Thunder fan, I understand it's not going to be exciting in the here and now, and it's going to take a while. Like, you're looking at it and you're thinking, okay, great, we have the Rockets pick swap in 2025 or like their pick outright in 2024 or 2026. Then you're thinking, even if that pick turns out to be pretty good, it's going to be two or three years before the player they draft in that slot even turns into the player that he's going to be. So you're looking at like seven, eight years down the road where this thing really starts to take shape. And in the meantime, it's going to be tough sledding. So so I understand. It's like you're really, this is a real long-term rebuild, I think, at this point. On the other hand, I mean, they could. Like you, you got Chris Paul, who... Like I, I think he's become underrated. He obviously has slipped quite a bit uh, in the last 12 months. But a season ago, 2017-18, the Rockets are the best team in the NBA, and Chris Paul, to my mind, was a top 10 player. And I know the injuries are a concern, and the age is a concern, and the contract is a concern, but he's still excellent. And you know, between him, Gallo, I, I wonder, honestly, if they might even be regretting doing the Jeremy Grant trade now, because if they had... Gallo, Grant, Stephen Adams, Chris Paul, and all these draft assets. Maybe then they're thinking, I don't know, like, w- should we go out and try and get Bradley Beal? You know, like, then maybe that's a team that's actually in the mix in the Western Conference. That's exactly how I was thinking last night. I was like, well, hold on a minute. Maybe maybe they don't actually have to go full-blown rebuild here. They've got Chris Paul, Gallinari, Shea Gilders-Alexander. Him and Chris Paul can almost play in a backcourt together in the yeah. modern NBA. They use all those assets to get a guy like Beal, and it's like, whoa, we got something here. Now, I think the reason I no longer believe that is because it, pretty quickly Woj reported that the Thunder are working with Chris Paul and his agent to find a third team to send him to. And I think that probably speaks to, one, I don't think Chris Paul wants to be in Oklahoma City. He was there. He started it all. You when, know, when, that- when the Hornet, the then Hornets... Yeah, they during Hurricane Katrina, right. or like after Hurricane Katrina, right. they played they played in Oklahoma yeah. City. But I I don't know if Chris Paul wants to spend his twilight the twilight years of his career there. Mm-hmm. 
And so, yeah, and so that's the reason why I, I'm no longer thinking that that's a, probably a possibility that they can turn into a semi-contender because if if they were even considering that, it just seems odd that within a few minutes of the deal, Woj would be reporting, oh, by the way, they're also trying to move Chris Paul immediately. No, that was sort of me thinking out loud. I don't think that, that is a Thunder intention at all, um, but it just is a possibility. And, and I think it's less of a possibility now that Grant isn't there because, I mean, not even just having him on the team, but having... Uh, like a sort of mid-level salary that you could include in a deal for somebody like Beal or whatever other star you want to throw out there that might be available. And I just think it seems like, you know, they're they're preparing to do this thing, like a full-scale teardown rebuild. I just, how many draft assets can they realistically have? Like they're not going to be able to develop all these players that are going to be drafting in the next five, six drafts they have to have some players on the team. So at a certain point, they got to look to get like a young player who's going to be part of their future. Right now they have Shea. And I guess you could say they have Terrence Ferguson, Hamadou Diallo, Darius Baisley, but those guys are super raw. You have no idea what they're going to be or whether they're going to be, you know, rotation players on a contending team in the future. If, you know, maybe Gallo's a guy who can return a nice young player. I don't know about Chris Paul. I mean, you look at this trade, and if this is indicative of what his trade value is, I don't have a ton of faith. That they're they probably going to go attach in. a couple of these picks now to Paul to get him to get him to a third team, right? Like they need to. Um, no, I wouldn't go that far. You don't think they have to attach one of these twelve first rounders they've acquired? I don't, and I think if you're Miami, I would be willing to give up more to get Chris Paul than I would have been willing to give up to get Westbrook. I agree. I think Chris Paul. He's a better fit with Jimmy Butler. He has, again, that one less year on his contract. And I know he's older, but I don't think that he showed any more age-related decline last year than Westbrook did, at least relative to where they were at their athletic peaks. No, agreed. Because I, I, I've had a few people kind of reply um, to my story saying, well, like, Westbrook is so much younger. And he is, and he's like three or four years younger. But Westbrook's game is completely predicated on explosiveness yeah. and athleticism. And you can start to see the decay in those areas in his game. Chris Paul does not rely on those things. And if you're asking me right now which of those two future Hall of Fame point guards is more conducive to winning in the NBA in 2019, it's still Chris Paul, even though he is a little older. And it's especially Chris Paul when you've got James Harden on your team. And I guess I'll take it there next because the clear loser to me in all this is Houston. And and. A little bit on OKC, like even you were just mentioning, at some point they got to turn these picks into players. That's another reason why I kind of did still see them as a loser. Because again, even though they're in good position to rebuild, it's like at the end of the day, right now they really are just banking on things that haven't materialized yet. As for Houston, are they still going to be competitive with James Harden and Russell Westbrook? Yes. Especially in a wide open title race. But if you're going to mortgage a chunk of your future the way the Rockets did, and I'm not saying you should never do that because when you're when you're kind of all in and, and you're playing high stakes NBA poker at that level, when you feel like you're on the precipice of a championship, there's nothing wrong with mortgaging your future. But mortgaging your future to not get significantly better and maybe to not get better at all makes no damn sense. And it doesn't make a lot of sense for Daryl Morey. You know, a lot, what a lot of people are saying is, well, Daryl Morey shouldn't care because given the way Tillman Fertitta's run this franchise, Daryl Morey's probably not going to be there much longer. Like, And he's especially <laughs> not going to be there. He's especially not going to be there when these picks start to convey, okay? Other than the 2021 one, maybe. So 
Now, I'm not excusing Daryl Morey from making a poor decision based on that, but still, like, maybe that does factor into it. I don't know. But what I know is that the Rockets damaged their long-term viability to not get much better. I don't, I don't think they're better at all. I, I just don't see the fit. Like, if I'm thinking of Russell Westbrook and a Mike D'Antoni system, I'm like, okay, what works here? Well, it's like, well, he runs fast and he shoots a lot, but he's also a historically bad jump shooter. He doesn't, for a guy that averages 10 plus assists a game and led the league in assists the last two years, he doesn't always move the ball at the right times. Now, I think he could create some corner threes for, for the Rockets the same way James Harden does, but he's still not as willing a passer as Chris Paul is. Like, even though he averages more assists, Chris Paul is still the more pass-first point guard. He is still more of the setup guy. Russell Westbrook will get you 10 assists, but he's a much more score-first guard. That's uh, that's not even up for debate at this point. And when you've got a guy that's like that, except as inefficient as he is, when you've got a guy who provides no off-ball value whatsoever because he usually stands around with his hands on his knees when he doesn't have the ball, like... I don't know. Unless Russell Westbrook swallows his pride and Mike D'Antoni can get through to him, I just do not see the fit here. I think the off-ball stuff is way more important than who is or isn't a pass-first point guard. Like, is he going to be able to play off of the ball when he's playing alongside James Harden? We have no evidence to suggest that that's going to be the case. We have minimal evidence to suggest that James Harden is going to be an effective off-ball player. How are they going to share a backcourt together effectively? I don't know. And then, you know, that's before even getting into the defensive concerns where I think Chris Paul is a significantly better defender than Russell Westbrook. And that's where maybe we can get into the age-related decline and talk about how much longer that's going to be the case. Russell Westbrook is a negligent defender. He obviously has the physical tools. I think as a man-to-man guy, he can be effective. As a team defender, he's been poor for pretty much his entire career. And I just don't know how like that's going to be effective when he's playing alongside James Harden and when you know a guy like PJ Tucker already is carrying like an immense amount of strain at the defensive end of the floor I, I just it's really tough to see and I've seen a lot of people sort of arguing about whether or not Westbrook is better than Chris Paul and to me that's just not even really the point the point is the fit here is extremely tenuous and I mean for Daryl Morey this guy who has prided himself on basically creating a formula that mathematizes basketball. And he just went out and paid a lot in draft capital to acquire a guy who had a true shooting percentage of 50.1 last season. I think like you have to assume that a lot of this was just the pressure that was being put on the organization by James Harden, who reportedly you know, pushed for this deal to get done wanted to play with Westbrook, clearly did not want to play with Chris Paul anymore. But, I mean, I, I, I can't help feeling like the, the franchise is going to regret acquiescing to those demands because I think they were in much better position to contend in the West with Paul than they're going to be with Westbrook, and they gave up the draft picks to get it done. You know, to me, as, as disappointing as the end to last season was for them, like, they were still right there. I... I did sort of like a tiers ranking of the Western Conference, and I had the Clippers in a tier by themselves, but I don't think the gap is significant. And after that, I had a five-team tier with the, the Jazz, the Nuggets, the Lakers, the Warriors, and the Rockets. And I could have seen any of those teams making the conference finals and then giving the Clippers a run for their money. It's harder for me to see that now with the Rockets. Like, I don't know if I would bump them out of that tier, but 
I would put them at the bottom of it now, frankly. I just, the, the on-paper fit is really tough to see. Yeah, and another thing I'll mention, and I, I mentioned it in the, the feature I wrote this morning, is, you know, it, the Chris Paul-James Harden dynamic, part of the reason it worked, especially in year one, part of the reason it worked so well, is because even though it was a little bit of kind of just taking turns, they were both incredibly efficient in isolation. And it kind of ran contrary to how Mike D'Antoni usually ran his offenses, but it worked, right? Like the reason they were so efficient as a team, the reason they made it work with these two ball-dominant guys is because each of them individually was so good in isolation. The last two seasons, James Harden scores 1.15 points per isolation possession. That's absurdly efficient. Chris Paul, the last two years, even if you factor in the down year of last year, still over a point per iso possession, 1.01. Those same two seasons, Russell Westbrook, 0.79. That's abysmal for a high usage guy. So again, just another kind of piece of evidence to suggest that if if they just kind of bring the styles they have right now without uh, sacrificing at all or without trying to like bring their games together, it's not going to work. Like it, Just mathematically, it is not going to work. And so, you know, we've run through the Thunder. We've run through now why the Rockets to me are clear losers, why Daryl Morey's a loser. James Harden and I guess Russell Westbrook's a winner because he gets he's still getting paid and gets to go to a better team. But like Mike D'Antoni's another loser in this, right? Like Mike D'Antoni to me just lost a, a, for the umpteenth time in his career, just watched his best chance to win probably walk out the door. And I don't mean Chris Paul physically, I just mean in general. Like there's just so many losers to be found all around. And even yeah. the Rockets as a whole, even you mentioned, you know, because the reports are that James Harden pushed for this deal and that's why I went through. Well, it's like Look, I understand James Harden's a transcendent talent, and in the NBA, you have to keep those guys happy because they're the the premium assets in the business. They're the backbone of championship contention, but like, I'm sorry, keeping James Harden happy without making your team significantly better, what does that do for you? I don't know, but I mean, how? what are you supposed to do? Uh, James Harden is the franchise, and if, if he's telling you to do something or he's going to become disgruntled... I don't know. I, I like. Can you not? I don't know. Can you not reason with him that? No, and I'm not saying you tell him we're keeping know. Chris Paul. Like maybe clearly it had gotten to a point where those two could not coexist. Yeah. But could you not tell him? Like I don't know. Could you not have waited it out a little longer? Could you have not have told him you you still want to investigate to see what other kind of deals are out there? Like I I don't know. I don't know either. And I just I guess I would have just pushed harder to not give up as much draft capital as they did. I. I could see a way to sort of justify the move if they weren't attaching assets or if they were only sending out one pick rather than two picks and two pick swaps. I I just feel like they got fleeced by Sam Presti. And if they'd pushed back just a little bit harder and been like, you know, we'll give you one of the picks and one of the swaps. Or hell, we'll give you the picks and no swaps. Was Presti really going to say no to that? Like, I, I felt like they were operating, you know, from a place of weakness, but they should have been operating from a position of strength because the Rockets were like the better team. They were the team that was better positioned to contend next year. Like they, they didn't have to make a panic move here. And maybe it's like you're saying, like the the relationship between Harden and Paul was so bad that they did have to make a panic move. But just looking at it on paper, like they, they were in good shape and they should have been willing to be, I think a little bit more patient rather than pulling the trigger on a deal that I don't think really benefits them at all. Yeah, by the way, because I, I don't think we have mentioned the actual numbers yet. So first of all, shout out to Jeff Siegel, who runs Early Bird Rights. It's a beautiful 
cap website where you can keep track of salaries. And if you go by that, so Chris Paul, if you include the player option, has three years and about $124 million left. If you include Russell Westbrook's player option, it's four years and $171 million left. Now, James Harden is uh, no options is locked up through 2023. But... So they're on the same time. Like, they are. Timeline, but yeah. what I was going to say is like... It, if the fit is as bad as we think it is, and if the Rockets take a step back, or just, you know, they're good, but they clearly look like a not true contender, and Harden's already started to get restless now these last couple of years. Like, what if, I don't know, like, what if James Harden wants out in a year or two? You know, and that's why I'm saying, like, I understand you have to keep him happy, but at the same time, you also have to keep in mind that winning will ultimately solve things and keep him happy. And, like, Maybe he would have been annoyed in the short term, but he's not holding out. Like, he's showing up to camp, and if you find a way to put a winner around him, like, things will probably be okay. In this case, okay, you've kept him happy in the short term, and he's probably a little more excited about the team going into the year. Well, what happens if January, February, there's a meltdown, or the team's nowhere near? Like, you know what I mean? Then what did keeping him happy in July of 2019 really accomplish? I mean, yeah, I guess I'll just say we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, and I'm sure the Rockets are taking the same approach. I mean, another thing that I'm thinking about is Tillman Fertitta, who has been pretty aggressive in trying to avoid the luxury tax since taking over the team. And now having Westbrook's Albatross contract on the books through 2023 with Harden's mega contract on the books as well. I mean, does that mean are they going to start slashing payroll elsewhere? Like, especially if the team is basically struggling to remain competitive in the Western Conference. It just feels like there's a short shelf life on this thing. And if it doesn't work right away, I mean, we're entering disaster zone, right? Like, if if it doesn't work next season, what's it going to look like for the three years after that? I mean, it's scary to think about. And I just thought that the Rockets were in better shape than it seemed like they were just on account of the infighting and the way their season ended. And now, now I just don't know. I really don't. And I'll say this. I think they can stagger Westbrook and Harden's minutes. They'll play together some. You know, there will be obviously a a bunch of overlap. They'll start together. They'll probably finish games together. But Westbrook can, you're talking about, you know, creating corner three-point shots. He's about as good a drive-and-kick point guard as there is. And that will fit with Mike D'Antoni's spread pick-and-roll system. He'll have a lot of space to operate if he's surrounded by shooters. He can replicate some of what Harden does in terms of just bending a defense and creating open threes for his teammates. It's just when they're playing together... I just don't really see right now how it's going to work, but maybe D'Antoni can figure it out. And I mean, he's basically a lame duck coach at this point. So I guess he has to hope that he can, or maybe he's already just eyeing his next team and wants to get out of there. But I don't know, a lot of stuff up in the air right now for this Rockets team. And I can't say I necessarily agree with this move or understand it. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to Pound the Rock on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also encourage you to check out The Score's other sports podcasts. For Major League Baseball, there's Expand the Zone. For soccer, we've got Sweeper Keeper. Puck Pursuit has you covered for the NHL. And the Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone tackles, you guessed it, fantasy football. And in case you haven't already, please download The Score app, which is available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. Another thing I'll add too, and I know that maybe fans might not care about this or think it matters, but I can tell you it does. 
the media relations angle of it. And here's what I mean by that. No, here's what I mean by that. The Thunder were one of the are most, one of the most protective, most protective, toughest to crack media relations departments in the league. And especially with Russell Westbrook, they coddled him. He had run of the mill in there. Like Russell Westbrook didn't want to talk. He wasn't talking. And if you wanted to talk to someone on the Thunder, but especially wanted to get close to Russell Westbrook, there was probably a PR guy hanging around to even hear what the question was. Like, and, and most people knew it was because Russell Westbrook wanted it that way. Russell Westbrook does not run the Houston Rockets. And I can tell you from experience, the Houston Rockets are the polar opposite. They are one of, for a team as good as they are with the stars that they've had, they've actually been one of the most accessible teams. You might not get to talk to a guy pregame, but they're pretty open and just letting you walk up to a guy and try, you know, or, or, or just being a couple of human beings in a locker room trying to have a chat. It's, it, they run a very different ship. And I'm personally very curious to see, yes, professionally, because we're in the media, to see how they navigate this, but also because these are things that matter, right, in keeping players happy. Like if Russell Westbrook's going to Houston expecting the same kind of treatment from a media relations department, he might be in for a rude awakening. And again, those things do fester over the course of a year. And another thing I'll add too is I'm very curious to know when this tension really started with James Harden and Chris Paul. Like there was probably some underlying tension bubbling the whole time. But so you remember in February, February, March, I went to Houston to do something not on the Rockets, on Austin Rivers as part of the Score X. Yeah. And I understand that players are going to say what they say and they're always going to have each other's backs. But one thing that was like very easy to notice in their dynamics, we even saw a little bit of practice, which you don't usually see. Like The team really did get along great. They were joking around. And it's something Austin Rivers even said to us and without us asking him, right? It's something he talked to us about was that the team was like a lot more close-knit than any he had ever played on. And especially when he was comparing it to, say, the Clippers of, you know, a couple of years ago. And he specifically mentioned the fact that he thinks it's because of the way Chris Paul and James Harden lead together. And the fact that the team looks at those guys and sees, wow, these two ball-dominant guys get along, kind of share responsibilities, lead us together. And this was in early March, right? You had a, a guy, a new guy coming into this situation, kind of being blown away by how good these guys were together on the court and off the court. And now we're sitting here in July saying that, the animosity between them was so bad that they absolutely had to get rid of one of them. It just kind of blows my mind. I think it just speaks to how thin the margins are sometimes. Right. And, you know, that team was rolling heading into the playoffs. You know, they were playing probably like the second best team in the West. They smacked the Jazz in five games in the first round. They run into a Warriors team that is showing some cracks for the first time. They come back from a 2 nothing deficit to tie that series at two. In game five, Kevin Durant goes down. And they are just right there on the precipice. You know, if they get through that series, I think they are undoubtedly beating Portland in the conference finals. And then suddenly everything is different. But they fall apart at the end of that series. They fall apart at the end of game six, specifically, you know, in a game that they had led pretty much the entire way. Lose a game in a series that I think you, you could say that they should have or very well could have won. And suddenly all this stuff that you're saying is maybe like festering or bubbling under the surface just comes to the fore and blows up. And, you know, there's been some great reporting about this. Both uh, Tim McMahon at ESPN and Vincent Goodwill at Yahoo uh, wrote really good investigative pieces just about what was going on. And the sort of through line was, you know, Chris Paul wants to play basketball a certain way, wants James Harden to play basketball that same way, wants the ball to move, 
wants everybody to be a little bit more involved rather than just guys standing around and watching Harden operate. And for Harden, it's like he's rolling his eyes and looking at Chris Paul and being like, you cannot even beat your guy one-on-one. Just like, watch me, let me go to work. And it's sort of just like a clash of styles that obviously couldn't be remedied at the end of the day. And winning, I think, would have solved a lot, but they didn't win. And I think, you know, I can't stress this enough. I just think that they pulled the trigger too early. And I really think if you could have gotten those guys in a room together to just talk it out and recognize the opportunity that they had in front of them in a Western conference that is pretty wide open with a a team that has shown it has a formula for success on both sides of the floor. I think they could have recognized like, let's at least give this a shot. Like let's try and figure this out this year. And if it doesn't work, then we'll move on. But to basically just pull the parachute and and try and now make this work with a completely different, you know, stylistic fit in Westbrook. I don't know. It just seems like the kind of thing that they might look back on and regret a couple of years down the line. Agreed. And and I think for James Harden and Chris Paul individually, you know, I wonder if this is the kind of thing where and I know we're projecting really far into the future, but for real, I, I do wonder if neither of these guys ends up winning a ring, is this the kind of thing where 10, 15 years ago they're having us sit down on NBA TV talking about how they should have hashed things out and should have figured it out because they both blew it. And the last loser I wanted to touch on was Chris Paul because individually no one loses more than Chris in this deal. We're both, you know, we've both been big Chris Paul guys. We've Mm -hmm. both defended his playoff resume because he's been individually brilliant in postseasons and has kind of got this bad reputation as a loser because he's only appeared in one conference finals and, and, you know, he had a very untimely injury that probably cost the Rockets a chance to win a title that year. And he's never appeared in the finals, and I get all that. I'll defend him in terms of his legacy because I think I understand the value he had on the court, and I think most people should, but... He's one of the three best point guards ever, of all time. Ever, But, look, the his prickly nature, I think, has been well-documented by now. And even though he might be right, and it's often probably because he is the smartest guy in the room from a basketball perspective and kind of doesn't understand why these other guys don't understand... The fact of the matter is that as one of the best players on the team, as the legend that he is, you do just at some point have to find a way to make it work, especially when you've had now multiple stops where you've had a chance to contend for championships. And again, I'm not saying it's all his fault, but like at some point you do have to take some responsibility for that. And he's a loser in this because the Rockets were his best chance to win. And that bridge, whether it's his fault or James's or probably a bit of both, that bridge is now burned. And then you look at the other contenders in a wide open West and it's, they either have point guards in place or they're the two LA teams where they don't really have the assets or the contracts to match, right? To get Chris Paul now. And then you look at the East and the only two true contenders in the East, in my eyes, and I think you'd agree are Milwaukee and Philly. Now, if one of those two teams can find a way to get Chris Paul, giddy up, Chris Paul's got a chance to win a title. And I, I wouldn't rule that out. But I think you're now... Man, in a yo, sit- he would be such a good fit Mil- on Philadelphia. I think Milwaukee, too. Yeah. I mean, Milwaukee, I don't think, has the contracts to make that work. Yeah. Unless they were willing to trade Brooke Lopez. Yeah. Which, which I don't think they would be, but... But uh, Philly, I agree. I mean, we've yeah. talked about them needing a natural point guard for how long now, right? But but still, either one of those teams, I think the fit might be a bit better in Philly, but I still think if he got to Milwaukee, that's a great opportunity for him and the Bucks. But I think we're just in a situation now where unless one of those two teams, and really there's been no smoke to even indicate there's fire there, unless one of those two teams trades for Chris Paul, 
I don't understand how Chris Paul is going anywhere but a team where there's going to be more postseason mediocrity in his future. And like, I don't know where that leaves him. I, you know, is he going to have to, is his best chance to win a ring going to be when he's like 38 and playing 10 minutes a game or something? It's just a very sad, I don't want to say ending because he still has years left to play in the NBA. Who knows what will happen? But again, barring him landing on one of those two teams this season, it's a very sad way for his immediate championship window to close. Yeah, I agree. And it's just, you know, I was talking about those thin margins so many times. I mean, that Clippers series against the Thunder in that game five, where obviously he just has that disastrous last two minutes, you know, suffering that hamstring injury in game five against the Warriors in the conference finals. Uh, You know, them just not being able to close it out after Durant suffers the calf injury. Like, so many times when he was so close and... um, I mean, a, a lot of the blame has fallen on him, and, and some of it's been warranted, and a lot of it hasn't been. But, you know, you're talking about the sort of acrimonious endings that he's had in all these situations that he's been in. That is going to be a part of his legacy. I mean, the fact that he couldn't really make it work, you know, in terms of the personality fit with Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan, and, you know, how sort of relieved Doc Rivers seemed to be to get out from under that shadow. And now, you know, the Rockets basically blowing up a borderline championship core because the personalities couldn't mesh. I mean, some of that is going to fall on Chris Paul and that, you know, that is going to be part of his legacy. And that ultimately, I think, is going to be part of the reason if he doesn't ever win a chip or doesn't ever get to the finals. Like that is going to be part of the reason why his inability to just coexist, meet teammates halfway and figure out, you know, just how to make it work when things weren't necessarily going perfect. Uh, one thing I just want to add, because it, it only started getting picked up this morning. So Jonathan Fegan of the Houston Chronicle, one of the longer-tenured Rockets reporters, actually reported in a story he wrote last night that Westbrook apparently broached the idea of a trade. Not necessarily a trade demand, but at least brought it up with the front office immediately after the Thunder's first-round exit this year. I think that's an interesting... Again, it doesn't sound like it was a demand, but, you know, everyone looks at this as like, well, Kawhi blew it all up when right. he lured Paul George away, and then that clearly made Russ one. Well, it sounds like, you know, Russ kind of had eyes for elsewhere once that ended. And, and in that sense, you can look back at it and say that Damian Lillard's 37-foot walk-off bomb just burned to the ground whatever was left of this thunder window. Yeah, I mean, when he was waving goodbye... Who knew that he was truly waving goodbye to an era of Thunder basketball? Well um, said. Well said, my friend. I mean, I, I do think, you know, a few years down the road, they are really going to be thankful that the Paul George thing forced their hand. Because before that happened, I just think they would have had a really hard time justifying trading one of those guys, either to the fan base or to the other player. And I think once PG basically gave them that out, First of all, they had, I think, great leverage with the Clippers, and leverage that they wouldn't otherwise have had if they were trying to move Paul George. Because the Clippers were so desperate, they knew they needed to get PG in order to get Kawhi. You know, that put the Thunder in a great negotiating position. They managed to extract all the draft picks that they got, and then they have the impetus to trade Westbrook, which, you know, otherwise might have been a difficult sell to the fan base, or if George was there, obviously to George, who signed there in large part because of the relationship that he built with Russ. And now I think they get, you know, they get two more draft assets or possibly even four from Houston. And they they have another opportunity now to flip Chris Paul and see if they can get more assets. Like they've just, they've set themselves up really well for the long term. 
And I think, you know, the spark for that, whether or not Russ broached the idea of a trade, you know, whenever he broached it, I think being in the position that they were with Paul George and and managing to, to flip him for what they got and basically setting themselves up for this rebuild made the next domino uh, with Russ possible. Yeah, I'd agree with all that. From a narrative perspective, I'm trying to think the last time a player... Um, like if you want to joke around about Lillard kind of ending it all with that that playoff shot, I think the last time I felt like that was. Do you remember when Steph Curry torched the Nuggets after the Nuggets won whatever it was, fifty six, fifty eight games that year, yeah. and they were the two or the three seed, and Steph Curry just that was kind of Steph's coming out party as like a potential NBA superstar, and he torched them, and the Warriors upset the Nuggets to start the playoffs, and then uh, Iguodala leaves, and there were the reports that Iguodala was like already kind of talking with the Warriors while the Warriors were beating the Nuggets and Masai Ujiri wins executive of the year and leaves and uh, Coach Carl, George Carl wins coach of the year and Gets leaves. And, yeah, yeah, and it was kind of like Steph Curry's coming out party almost undid all of that work the Nuggets did. Again, obviously there are a lot of reasons why the Thunder have fallen apart here, but from a narrative perspective in a Stars League, it is kind of Unless you're a Thunder fan, it is kind of cool to like point at Lillard's shot and be like, you know, that's going to live on in infamy as the last, the death knell kind of this Thunder, whatever you want to call it, not dynasty, but well, era. Would be dynasty, right. would be maybe the way to put it, um, or a dynasty that wasn't, as I put it in that piece that I wrote. And it's, this is the end of that era, right? You, you know, finally, uh, Westbrook was basically the last vestige of of those incredible Thunder teams, and... It is just, it will never stop being crazy that Westbrook, Harden, and Durant were all on the same team together. It will and Ibaka never Ibaka too. Ibaka is like the fourth best guy on a team at that stage absolutely. of his career. Yeah, and it, and it will never stop being crazy that they made it to that one finals in 2012 and never made it back, you know, for, for a myriad of reasons. Um, and again, like I was talking about with Chris Paul and the slim margins, like they were so close so many times. And something just always seemed to happen that blew them off course. Even after the Harden trade that obviously proved to be so disastrous, that team was still so unbelievably good. I mean, the first season without Harden, they were the best team in the NBA. They won 60 games. They had the best point differential, one of the best point differentials ever. And Patrick Beverly takes out Russell Westbrook's knee. Well, and He was going for the ball. He I, was going for the ball, but he took it, you know, like... <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to relitigate this play or whether or not it was dirty, but we know what happened. He, he, Westbrook tore his, his ACL, his MCL. Meniscus? I, yeah, I don't remember. He tore something. <laughs> he was out for the rest of the playoffs, and the Thunder lose in the second round to the Grizzlies, a Grizzlies team that I think they easily would have handled if Westbrook had been healthy. And then um, it's like, you know, Ibaka gets injured in that conference final against the Spurs when it's 2-2, and he's out for the rest of the series. The next year, and it was two nothing before. Weren't the Thunder up two nothing in that? No, the, oh, the, right. the Spurs were up two right, nothing. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, but Ibaka was good back then. I mean, he was a really important part of that team, and that was back when he was still blocking like three shots He's a, a defensive game. Defensive Player of the Year candidate. Yeah. The year after that, Durant fractures his foot, gets a screw put in, ends up having to get the screw taken out and have another surgery, and ends up only playing twenty seven games that year. And quite honestly, mentally, never seen the same after that. Yeah, maybe so. And I mean, that was the only year throughout this entire run they missed the playoffs. The following year, he comes back, and there is just a ton of pressure on that season, right? Because he's an impending free agent. The Warriors juggernaut has arrived, and they look totally unbeatable. They win 73 games. 
and quite honestly, you know, that second round series against the Spurs, like the Spurs won game one of that series by 40 points. And it looked like that was the end of it. But somehow the Thunder basically rebound and overwhelmed the Spurs with their size and athleticism to win that series in six games. And they go up 3-1 on the Warriors, man. And I mean, again, there are so many inflection points and moments that we can go back to and think what if. But that game six and Clay Thompson just going off when, again, that was a game that the Thunder were basically in control of until the fourth quarter. I mean, we, yeah, we, we, again, we don't have to go over it. We know what happened. The, the Warriors win that game. They come back and win the series in seven. They blow a 3-1 lead in the finals, which, again, I, I mean, maybe Durant would have gone elsewhere regardless, and he just wouldn't have signed with the Warriors. But he had basically said at that point that he didn't think he would have signed with the Warriors if they'd won the title that year. I don't know if that means he would have stayed in Oklahoma City, but it's just there are so many ways that this could have turned out differently. And the fact that, that it all ended and that all three of those guys are now out the door, including Paul George, who was magnificent in his two years in Oklahoma City, without a whole lot to show for it, is just tragic. And I'm sure Seattle fans would say karma's a bitch. Right. You know? that's, like, that's a really good way to put it. Um, yeah. Again, I, I understand what you're saying, what everyone's saying, and I agree with it about the, the position they're in for the future. Yes, they, with Shea Gilgis-Alexander and all those picks, 100%. You, you can't really ask for a better place to start given how quickly they did have to pivot to that, but it's just everything we just talked about and all the things you just mentioned and all those inflection points. It's it's just so hard for me to sit here right now and call call this team a winner outside of just the shrewd business aspect of them winning this trade. I think that's, that's as good a place as any to finish off. I don't know when we'll be back in the studio. I don't know what's going to happen next, but this league is insane. And this coming season is just you know continuing to shape up as one of the more fascinating that we've seen in a really long time. So um, for now, we're going to sign off. Russell Westbrook is a Houston Rocket. Chris Paul is temporarily an Oklahoma City Thunder. I'm Joe Wolfon for Joseph Cacharo. We're Pound the Rock. We'll see you soon. (laughs) 